Hello and welcome to episode four of the Bergen Fitness Podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to educate, motivate and entertain you with new podcasts released every Thursday. On today's episode, I'm going to talk to you all about everything nutrition. Well, not everything, that'll take a lot of time to cover, but it's going to be answering many frequently asked questions from clients, but also questions asked on my Instagram account. Uh, my Instagram account is in the session notes if you would like to give me a follow. Nice little plug in there to start us off. But anyway, yeah, without further ado, we're going to get started with some Q&As. So question number one is, how do I know how many calories that I should be eating? So this is a very vague question because I'd need to know what that individual's goals are. But for example, the most common goal that I come across is fat loss. So for fat loss, you'll have heard the buzzword calorie deficit going around. But what does that actually mean? So a calorie deficit is, there's basically two sides to the equation of how you can create a calorie deficit. To create a calorie deficit, essentially your energy and your calories in, so i.e. the food that you eat, needs to be less than the energy that you expend. So that's such as your exercise. So we can expend calories um, through all sorts of different daily tasks. So there is such a thing called NEAT, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Um, which is basically all of the activities that you do, such as cleaning, hoovering, dusting, things that aren't actually through exercise um, directly, such as like weights, cardio, hit, etc. So you've got your NEAT, which goes into the equation on the side of expenditure. You've then got um, to... So I'm trying to think of the most simplistic way of with explaining this. Essentially... We've all got a BMR and our BMR is our basal metabolic rate. And this is the rate at which the body uses energy whilst it rests to maintain vital functions such as breathing and keeping warm. So this is the most basic level of calories that are that we need to be able to undergo living, <laughs> essentially. Um, and several factors can determine BMR, such as your body size and composition. So people with higher muscle mass will have a higher BMR, so a higher caloric need. Um, and also more often males will have a higher BMR. So your BMR, so I'm just using the BMR to explain to you what calories actually are and how it all works in terms of estimating your calorie intake requirements. Um, a way to work out your BMR is there's many formulas that you can use. One of the most popular formulas is a Harris-Benedict formula. So if you type that into Google, it will come up with the Harris-Benedict formula. Obviously, that's not the purpose of this podcast today so I'm not going to go through the formula and all of that the ins and outs of that but once you've worked out your basal metabolic rate then you, you then need to add a physical activity level factor to it so dependent on how much physical activity you do per week whether it's light moderate hard or intense will depend on how much you times your basal metabolic rate to get your requirements of calories and so from there someone who's training every single day very intensely will obviously need more calories than someone who's doing light to moderate exercise. Um, and then of course, you've also got other factors such as if you're sedentary. So if you're someone um, who is listening and you have a job which is just sat at a desk all day, obviously that's gonna impact your expenditure of calories in a sense that it will reduce the expenditure than someone who's got a very active job. So these are things that you need to consider in terms of how many calories you actually need as an individual um, and also relate that to your goal. So obviously somebody who is looking to put on muscle and to bulk up might 
well, we'll have to create a calorie surplus so they'd have to eat more than they expend. So it depends on what your goals are, um, depends on how many calories you require. But to just summarize that for you, you'd need to work out your basal metabolic rate and you times it by your physical activity level factor. And that'll give you an estimation of calories. And then from there, you can reduce the calories from maybe start with 200, um, trial and error it. So obviously it's all well and good having theory out there but everyone's very unique and individual. So one person might need to cut that um, calorie estimation by 200 to get to see results in terms of fat loss, whereas someone else might need to drop it even further. So it's all trial and error. What you don't want to do is go too drastic though. You don't want to go from your estimated calorie requirements and drop down by like 800 calories, for example, because often this can lead to people under eating, which has a completely different issue with it altogether. So that was just an example of how someone whose goal would be to be a calorie de- um, to lose fat and therefore being a calorie deficit might turn out. But then the other applies for working out. If you so, if you're wanting to bulk and add muscle mass, then that person would work out their basal metabolic rate times it by the physical activity level. But instead of taking calories off, add some calories onto that amount of estimation and then again it's trial and error in terms of what amount of calories is working for you um in regards to your goal um obviously as you progress your body composition might change so if you become uh, if you then have an increased muscle mass then you might have to eat more um because your basal metabolic would rate would change and therefore your requirements would change as a result um, but not to overcomplicate it too much because it was it's, it's getting into complicated territory. Ultimately, to summarize, in terms of knowing your calories, you work out your basal metabolic rate using the Harris-Benedict formula. You times that by the physical activity level factor. And then from there, you either adjust um, increasing calories or reducing calories, whether you want to uh, gain muscle and have a surplus or whether you want to lose fat and have a deficit and create a calorie deficit. Um, is up to you but again it's all estimations um, so there's no exact figure so it's all trial and error Um, but moving on to the next question sorry just before we move on just to explain you don't actually have to have a um, goal of bulking up or um, losing fat because you can actually have a goal of maintaining what the weight is that you're currently sitting at. Uh, for weight maintenance, it's more about uh, calories in equals calories out. So it's just maintaining a balance. But that's just a side note. Um, also, you don't actually have to do all of these equations and all the calorie counting to get results. Um, what you can do is just increase your exercise as a result of um, lifestyle changes, like lifestyle goals such as starting to go to the gym three times a week instead of once um because again that's working on the expenditure side of things or maybe you might like to just give yourself a little goal of reducing the amount of biscuits you eat um or high sugar of things that you consume and then again that's going to help with the equation side of energy in but if you really wanted in a very accurate well not accurate but a more holistic and knowledgeable approach to it then you could look into doing these equations but again it's not applicable to be able to lose fat So question number two is actually related to um, how to create a calorie deficit. So top tips. So I'm just going to reel off 10 of my top tips for how to create a calorie deficit. So number one is to space out your meals. So for example, if you wake up first thing in the morning, delay um, eating your breakfast, if you're not hungry, of course, um, delay eating breakfast, then you've got a smaller window 
um, to consume the calories, so then you're less likely to eat as many. Uh, eat foods high in fiber is number two. So adding vegetables to your meal will help with the satiety factor. So satiety is how full you feel. So you'll feel more full if you eat foods high in fiber. Um, number three is track a typical day of what you eat on MyFitnessPal. So I'm not saying you need to become obsessive over it and track every single day on MyFitnessPal. But sometimes you don't actually know how many calories you're consuming until you track it. And you might not even know how many calories some of the foods that you eat habitually actually have um, high calories in them. Um, so tracking a typical day of what you eat on my fitness pal is a recommendation. What I would say is that there's a lot of research that suggests that people underreport. Um, so they report that they, sorry, they overreport. So they report that they've had less food than they actually have. And then obviously that's not accurate. So if you do track a typical day of my fitness pal, uh, then make sure it's accurate or as accurate as possible by weighing your foods out. Um, again, not saying you need to become obsessive over it, but it could be quite educational to do that. Number four is avoid having too much sugar. So sugar can lead you to feeling hungrier. Um, so there's such a thing as a sugar roller coaster, which I will explain a little bit later. Number five is what type of eating style do you have? So are you eating out of boredom? Are you emotional eating? Once you've understand um, why you might eat or overeat, um, if you're aware that you eat out of boredom or you're aware that you're an emotional eater, then being aware of it is the first step towards being able to combat it. So if you know that if you've had a bad day at work, you're going to just reach for the cupboard and eat a load of biscuits, then you can be aware of that and try and prevent that from happening. Sorry, just to interlude, um, I did say people underreport, and then I said people overreport, but actually I was right first time. People do underreport their calories. So as I say, meaning that they... Um, say that they consume less than they actually do just to clear that up if anyone is confused number six is eat filling meals so f so for example um when i speak to clients often the thing that occurs for them to struggle to create a calorie deficit and end up overeating is that they don't eat enough in the daytime so then they snack loads at night so for example if you have say like a tuna salad for lunch um, which isn't filling at all for you, then you're more likely to snack later on in the day. Um, number seven is exercise. So obviously you can uh, manipulate the equation via the um, calories expended by exercising. So that can help with creating a calorie deficit. Um, consuming foods high in fats and proteins can help with satiety. As I mentioned earlier, satiety is fullness. So you could increase your um, consumption of those sorts of foods. Obviously, um, foods high in fat tend to be calorie dense as well. So just err on the side of caution with that. Number nine is a big one, which is very overlooked. I would say read food labels. So the, mo the most easiest way that you can educate yourself in terms of nutrition knowledge is to look at food labels. Look on the back of what it is you're actually consuming. Don't just go out to the supermarket and buy the same thing that you have. Have a look at alternatives um, and then you can start to educate yourself on that. Because for example, if I'm going to the supermarket to buy a yogurt... One yogurt can have 100 calories and 20 grams of protein, for example, and another yogurt can have 400 calories and a load of sugar in it. So it could be a similar product, but very different in terms of macronutrient composition um, on the food packaging. And then my final tip is don't go overboard on restriction. So life is there to be lived. Um, if you want to go out for a meal and socialize with friends, go out for a meal and socialize with friends. 
if you put way too much pressure on yourself to eat a minimal amount, then the likelihood is, is that you're actually going to do the opposite and end up eating loads. So they're my top 10 tips for creating a calorie deficit. Next question is what is meant by healthy fats? So essentially this is talking about reducing your saturated fats and increasing the unsaturated fats that you consume. So unsaturated fats, um, they have health benefits in, in terms of, so including reducing blood cholesterol levels and reducing the risk of both heart disease and stroke. Um, and they also help develop and maintain your body's cells. Um, so unsaturated fats, um, examples include nuts, seeds, avocados, and fish. Now, on the contrary, you've got saturated fats and saturated fats are fats such as um, like your butters, biscuits, pastries, uh, cheese, things like that. Um, and they are linked to raising blood cholesterol and increasing the risk of heart disease. Um, so obviously it, for that reason, healthy fats in this kind of scenario would be to increase your unsaturated fats. Um, in addition, there's such things as trans fats. So these are a lot to do with, um, they're very popular in processed foods because they help to keep the food like edible for longer. Um, again, with them being highly processed, you want to avoid trans fats as well. So just to summarize, what is meant by healthy fats? It's generally fats which are higher in um, unsaturated fats as opposed to consuming foods that are high in saturated fats. So reducing your saturated fat consumption. Next question is some snack ideas. So snack ideas, I've just written down, um, got listed here the following. So rice cakes, peanut butter. So peanut butter is a good source of protein, but also high in fat. So it's got some satiety properties to it. And um, be careful though, cause they are quite calorie dense. Well, they, peanut butter is calorie dense. Um, so just be careful if your goal is to create a calorie deficit, um, that you're not consuming too much peanut butter that's gonna add to your calorie intake. Um, nuts as well so um, look out for nuts that aren't processed or salted so for example by saying nuts I'm not saying eat a load of chocolate nuts because that's going to be a very different macronutrient uh, build up makeup than um, just sort of nuts that haven't been processed Yogurts, so as I said earlier, yogurts can be very different in terms of composition of macronutrients within them, um, depending on what brand you buy and depending on what sort of flavor um, or ingredients that they have in them. Um, so skia and fahi, I think they call them. Like it's spelt phage, but I think they want to be <laughs> known as fahi. Um, they have good protein in them and they're, I've had them before and I find them to be quite a filling snack. Um, but if you're um, intolerant to dairy, or you don't eat it, um, then Alpro also do very nice um, yogurt, which I like. Um, cottage cheese is good in terms of a healthy snack idea. I don't personally like it, but I know some people do. Um, you might like it. Um, protein bars, so protein bars are good because obviously they contain protein, um, but you have to be careful in terms of what brand that you consume because some actually have higher um, carb within them, carb composition within them, but they also have high sugars. So just read your food labels. That's all I can keep saying is read food labels to understand and educate yourself more and more about what it is you're actually eating. Um, looking out for alternatives. So alternatives 
For example, instead of a chocolate brownie, you might choose to get a Fiber One chocolate brownie. So Fiber One is the brand name um, and they do different flavors. So they do a birthday cake flavor as well, which is absolutely incredible, I love them. <laughs> um, but they have a very different macronutrient buildup than say a chocolate brownie that's homemade with loads and loads of uh, chocolate and butter and fats within them, um, which is probably gonna be higher in calories as well. Uh, so looking out for alternatives, other alternatives might be um, pop chips, for example, there's crisps. So these are popped rather than fried. Uh, so the lower in saturated fats, uh, which is what we we're talking about earlier. Um, but again, again, I'm just going to keep advising it. Check your food labels, like keep looking at alternatives, go to the supermarket, spend a little bit more time there and start to understand more and more about what it is that you put in your mouth. Next question is for fat loss, does it matter how you burn calories? So for example, running versus weights. So on this topic, we spoke earlier about uh, creating calorie deficit if you want to reduce body fat. Um, so therefore expending more calories than you consume. So therefore, regardless of the exercise, um, you're burning calories still, which is leading towards a calorie deficit um, via that equation we spoke about earlier. So the energy, v, energy in V, energy out. Um, so therefore, you can lose fat by running or by doing weights. However, the way that the impact that that has on your body composition will be very different or could be very different. Um, also, genetics are involved as well. But if you're a weightlifter, you're more likely to gain muscle mass so that when you reduce your body fat, you have more muscle to display. So then I guess you're talking about that toned look. I hate that word, but it's like um, you can have that sort of look about you in terms of your composition. So a higher muscle mass than someone who does running, for example. Um, whereas a runner can still, as I say, lose body fat, but they might not have as much muscle um, because of the nature of their sport being more endurance-based and not using weights. However, something that is very time-efficient way of burning calories is high-intensity interval training, so HIIT training. Um, so that's where you've got periods of low intensity um, mixed in with high intensity bouts of exercise. So it might look like 40 seconds rest and 20 seconds all out sprint on the treadmill. And these are effective because you still continue to burn calories. Um, it can be up to 24 hours, hours after the workout, but it depends um, on that individual and their workout. Um, the importance of HIIT training, though, is that you do go very intense on those high intensity bouts. Um, so your heart rate should be very high and elevated. So it's more time efficient because you can get a decent hit style workout in in about 20 to 20 minutes. Anything more than half an hour is kind of, I would say you might not be working as intense as you could be on those intense bouts because you shouldn't really be able to go that long with um, as long as past half an hour um, for something like hit training. Next question is, are low-carb diets good for you? Um, the long and short of it is no. Um, if you're reducing a macronutrient, then you're not really consuming a balanced diet, but also limited carbohydrate intake can affect a lot of factors such as your sleep, your energy, concentration, uh, brain function, your mood. Like There's so many different factors that can be affected as a result of limiting your carb intake but also not only this you'll probably find it hard to perform during your sessions at the gym so your performance may be suboptimal from reducing your carbohydrate intake what you can do is um, think about the sources of carbohydrates so you can have low gi or high gi carbohydrates 
Um, so low GI spike your blood sugar levels to less of an extent than high GI. Um, so they are probably better to have at times when you're sedentary and not really doing much exercise. And then if you require um, high energy, then high GI is absorbed into the blood quicker um, and therefore can be used for energy for your workout. So then you might opt to have a high GI carb before and after your workout. But yeah, long and short, do not cut out your carbs. <laughs> So this brings us on to the next question. Are sweet potatoes actually better for you than normal potatoes? So normal being white, I'm guessing. Um, sweet potatoes have a higher vitamin A content and they have a lower GI. So it means that they're less likely to spike your blood sugar levels um, and they take longer to digest, um, which means that they might make you feel fuller for longer than having white potatoes. Um, but more importantly, I wouldn't say either's bad for you because they're, they're rich in fiber and vitamins. Um, but more so it's how you prepare them in the cooking process. So are you frying your potato with loads of fats or are you boiling them um, and therefore maintaining more nutrients? Um, if you're frying a sweet potato in a load of fat versus boiling a white potato, then obviously they're not better for you. Um, they're just different. So like for like, ignoring that cooking process, um, they're just different in terms of vitamin content and sweet potatoes being lower GI. So it might actually be more beneficial to have the white potatoes before and after a workout, um, as mentioned before, because of their high GI properties. Um, so yeah, they're not really better for you or worse. They're just different. Just as an add on to that, um, with sweet potatoes being a lower GI, it's often recommended that those would be the alternative for people who have diabetes. Um, to help limit their high GI foods. Um, so that's just a little add-on if you're a diabetic uh, individual and you wanted that little bit of information slash the fact. So we've got time for one more question, which was what foods help with anxiety? So this is a pretty big topic. So I'm just gonna try and condense it down as much as possible for you. So first of all, we must recognize that anxiety is so multifactorial that we can't say that there's a clear cause and effect of eating something to reduce our anxiety. Um, having said this, there is a lot of research that has surfaced to suggest that some foods that we do consume can reduce anxiety. So I'm just gonna outline that now. So first of all, uh, salmon and sardines have been found to contain vitamin D, which could help with reducing um, the likelihood of anxiety and depression. Um, because there is a link that deficiency in vitamin D can lead to both anxiety and depression. Um, furthermore, in a meta-analysis, um, including 19 clinical trials and 2,240 participants across 11 different countries, it was concluded that omega-free treatment is effective in reducing anxiety. Um, so within the research, there's a lot of discussion around um, both omega-free and vitamin D um, and their importance of reducing anxiety. Furthermore, eggs are also thought to help with reducing anxiety. So this is through the notion of, so basically serotonin is a neurotransmitter that helps regulate your mood and sleep. So it's thought to improve brain function and relieve anxiety. And there's, amino, an, amino, uh, <laughs> there's an amino acid called tryptophan that helps create serotonin and this is found in eggs. So this is why it's thought that eggs could reduce anxiety. And another thing, although limited research for, is chamomile. So chamomile is suggested to help with managing anxiety, not necessarily 
omitting it, but helping to manage it when it does surface. Um, furthermore, fresh fruit and vegetables, um, they're rich in nutrients, including antioxidants. So studies have reported that fruit or vegetables might modify your brain serotonin status and so have a positive effect on your mood. Um, so that's another thing. Um, but further research is needed in regards to this topic. Having said this, we must realize that anxiety is multifactorial, as mentioned earlier. So it's very difficult for us to say that consuming more omega-3 or vitamin D will reduce anxiety levels because there's so many different factors that can cause anxiety. So other factors might be um, trauma, uh, low self-esteem, um, social and psychological stress from daily life. All of these things might require a more beneficial intervention such as therapy um, for the anxiety rather than looking into the diet and the nutrition. So that is the end of the questions. I did have so many questions come through regarding nutrition, so I will be doing another podcast on the topic of nutrition uh, sometime soon. Um, but I do hope that the content that you have listened to has been both enjoyable and educational. Time for our weekly features. So I'm not going to do myth busting of the week because practically this whole podcast is myth busting, but I'm going to do a story of the week. My story of the week relates to my knee. Um, I played football on last Sunday, slid on the AstroTurf and cut my knee, which made it hard to walk. Um, not because it hurt, just because it was restrictive, you know, when you get a scab over your knee. Um, but my story of the week actually relates to my nana in regards to this because my nana has rather progressed... Um, Alzheimer's and I went to go and visit her yesterday with my granddad and we were chatting and she was struggling to get some sentences together but what she did manage to say was so when I showed her my knee she managed to say what did you do that for and I just couldn't answer I was like I don't know because what did I do it for what I did do it for was sliding to try and keep the ball in play and I didn't even do that <laughs> it went off play so all week I've been limping about not been able to squat um which I guess leads me to my reflection of the week which is that I take my knee for granted <laughs> um and limping is hard work so I'm fine now I'm out of the out of the the worst of it I'm actually full-on joking it really wasn't that much of an injury um but I just thought it was quite a funny story because Nana was just questioning why I did it and I couldn't really say much back because she had a good point because it just reminded me that actually I didn't even manage to keep the ball in play either um but yeah that is my both story and reflection of the week I know what you're thinking you're thinking is that it is that your story of the week <laughs> and it might not be a big deal to you but I enjoyed that moment with Nana because it was a time when she was able to converse with me when if you know someone with Alzheimer's, um, particularly as it progresses, they'll struggle to maintain conversations or think of words. So it was quite funny because it just like, reminded me of the cheeky side of Nana and uh, her questioning my decisions. <laughs> and that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed listening today. You have been listening to the Bergen Fitness Podcast purpose here is to educate motivate and entertain thank you for listening and i'll chat to you next thursday